Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a what is up everybody welcome into another episode of flipping bats and we have an awesome conversation for you today stud pitcher for the miami marlins pablo lopez is about to join me in just a minute what a fun conversation we're going to have. We're going to talk all about his journey to the big leagues, which is truly a fascinating one. He was tasked with the incredibly difficult decision of picking between becoming a doctor, which is what a lot of his family wanted, or playing professional baseball. So we'll talk about that. And as well as the tragedy that he faced as a young kid of his mother passing away and how he used baseball to, to work his way through that. Uh, truly an incredible story, and now he's having potentially an all-star year. So I'm pumped for you all to hear this conversation. Let's welcome him in now, Pablo Lopez. Pablo, thank you so much for joining me, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Very excited for this opportunity to be here with you. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I'm pumped to have you on. So I, I want to go back a little bit because you've had an awesome story and an awesome journey to where you are right now as as an awesome pitcher in the big league. So I want to start with your early on career being a kid from Venezuela how did you fall in love with the game of baseball from from the beginning I think just like any kid playing catch with my dad then obviously being six seven years old and my dad realizing that I liked it so starting just playing little league baseball and then just going up every two years to like a different category as I was just growing older and then just little by little I just falling more and more in love with the game i was able to play different sports growing up but i think everyone could tell that baseball was the one i liked the most and then i kept playing and obviously as i was getting older the competition was getting higher and higher and i was still able to keep up with it so i think by um, by the time i reached age 15 it's when i was like i do want to try to get into the tryouts to see if I can be eligible to sign the July 2nd after my 16th birthday. Mm -hmm. And I started working really hard for that opportunity. And luckily I was able to like find it. That's so cool. Who who do you grow up rooting for from Venezuela? Like, did you root for a particular team or was it players? Who did you root for? So obviously the Yankees were the team that was a team that everyone liked. So I like the Yankees, but I also like the, uh, the Giants with the, with Barry Bonds, just being Barry Bonds winning like yeah. five MVPs <laughs> and being all those homers. So I grew up watching the Yankees and the, uh, the Giants and Jason Jambi was like my favorite player when I was little, just the, the things he was doing with the Yankees. And then even he, even when he was older and I was older, I still was just, in awe with everything Jambi was doing. So he was my favorite player growing up. So were you also keeping track at the time? Because probably when you were still pretty young, Miguel Cabrera from Venezuela was already in the big leagues. So were you a big fan of his and watching him? Or was it the Barry Bonds of the world, the Giambis of the world, stuff like that? 
No, Cabrera too. And funny story about him, he's the first autograph I ever got when I was like eight or nine years no old. He was playing in the Venezuelan Winter League and I was able to just like uh, greet him and ask for an autograph ball. And by the time he was, he had already made his debut here. So he was just like, just getting more reps in winter league winter ball so being able to get that autograph meant a lot sad part of the story is i don't know where the baseball is anymore no. <laughs> but, but I, at least i get the memory you know like miguel cabrera first autograph i ever got and then i got a funny twist that i don't know i don't know where the baseball is <laughs> that's hilarious so today uh your your change up is one of the best pitches in baseball and if i remember correctly you pretty much learned that pitch in, in Little League. Like, that's when you first started throwing it as much as you did and have obviously adjusted it and continued it on to your big league career. But is that true? You started throwing that pitch in Little League? So the way it started was when I turned maybe 10 or 11 years old, I moved up in the Little League world to a different category that would allow us to throw breaking balls. Mm-hmm. But my dad, being the doctor that he he was, he was like, no, you're too young for that. So he told me like a slower fastball. So it was just the same fastball grip, just get it deep in your hand, like just like shove it for way back there and then you throw it slower. And then as I grew older, I'm like, okay, now it's not as slow as it used to be. And then we started just like doing research little by little. Then we found out actual change of grips. And then I was started play, started playing with those and the tryouts. And after tryouts, you'll get scouts coming to you and give you like recommendations, like, hey, but you can do this, try this, try that. So that's how we started working and developing it. And then when I signed and got into the Seattle Mariners uh, farm system, then I was actually getting a lot of like resources, more research, uh, more information about it. So I kept the same grip that I had learned from like internet and stuff. But then I was able to pay more attention to details and what I was really looking for that pitch to look like and for the action that we wanted to do. So you don't still consider it just a slower fastball anymore. It is a change up for you now. Now it is a change. I mean, it used to be a slower fastball, I, like dipping my hand, just going like that to make it slow. Now it, I throw it like a fastball, but the change up doesn't work for me. So sorry, the grip doesn't work for it. And then it just throw it like a fastball, but then at the very, at the very last second, it drops and it fades. And that's, I think that's the beauty of the pitch. It looks like a fastball until like 15, 10 feet and just drops. Were you, were you mad at the time when you weren't allowed, when your dad wouldn't let you throw breaking balls? Cause I remember being in little league, I was fairly similar. I wasn't allowed to throw breaking balls when everybody else was. And I, I think, you know, my parents knew not that they, they were doctors, but they just knew my brother is nine years older than me. So along the way, people had just said, do not let him throw breaking balls. So then I come along, but they let me throw this thing called a dart ball. Have you ever heard of it? It's basically like a curveball, but you just kind of like throw it like a dart. That's what I was throwing as a kid was fastballs and dart balls. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, not that I was mad, but sorry, just real quick. But a lot of people were throwing breaking balls at 10 or 11 and they were just bangers. They looked like bangers for that age. <laughs> yeah, at that age. And I was like, I, w- I want to do that too. But my dad was just like, no, you can't, you can't. It's going to mess you up, all this and that. So eventually it's just like, I gave up. And then a time came to finally learn a breaking ball and I'm still looking for it for a consistent one, but, uh, the works, the work never stops. When you were, when you were younger as a kid, you went through some pretty challenging things in your life. Um, did you use baseball 
as an escape for yourself during that time to kind of get away from the craziness and, and what the sadness that you were going through in your life. Did you use baseball as an escape for you at that time? Yeah, baseball was definitely something that was already there and going through what I was going through was an, an escape and it just gave me an opportunity to look forward for something and with the values that my family has and they've always had, it gave me the motivation and inspiration that if I really like this, I'm going to try to do it the right way. My family, um, they were always like, whatever you whatever you're trying to do, just try to be the best version of yourself. You don't have to go out there and be better than anyone. Just be better than you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I think I was just trying to get 1% better every day with everything, you know, with everything that I was dealing with. And then obviously with sports, school. So just having that mentality, I just need to get 1% better today, 1% better today. And I think just, it gave me something to look forward to. And it, it just, it always kept the bar going higher and higher. So I think that was just, it was, it was a good approach that kept me just kept me in check with the things I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. And it just, it, it kept me within my own limits and not trying to do too much yeah. or not worrying too much about what could have been, what could be different. So it just kept me in the pressing. And I think that was a big, I, that was a big thing to learn at, at a young age. Yeah. So, and speaking of schooling, you ended up graduating high school at 16 years old and you were presented with a really really interesting decision um just from an outside looking in there's not a lot of baseball players that had to make this decision but you graduate and have to make the decision of becoming a doctor and going to med school or signing to play professional baseball i guess first off was what was the decision making process like for you well, the decision-making process was I had my mom's side of the family that they are all very academical. Like my mom was a doctor. I have aunts that are engineers, oil engineers, mm -hmm. uh, computer engineers, computer science, lawyers. So you have that, I have that side of the family. Then I have my dad who was a doctor, very good doctor, who, but who also played baseball. So I think he had a better feeling of, you know, like how this decision can really change some things in the future down the road so eventually what it came down with was just me having a good chat with my dad and my dad first of all letting me know that whatever the decision was going to be i would have a hundred percent of his support regardless of the decision but then he did say like if you choose to go for them uh to be a doctor i have no doubt in my mind you're gonna be the best doctor you can be but just realize that if you go that way and then you try to jump on the baseball train again it's going to be very hard to do that. Whereas if you take the baseball opportunity now that I have no doubt you're going to be the best version of yourself. And if for some reason it doesn't work out, you realize it's not what you want to do. It's going to be fairly easier to take that step back and jump right into college after that. And then he just, he, he left me with that. And then at the end, he said like, just as you grow older, the body gets weaker, but the mind gets stronger, obviously. And then when you put that into perspective, when you go to college, your mind is the one doing most of the work. So I think that really stuck with me and it just made me, it made the decision easier, but at the same time made me realize that if I'm going to pursue this baseball career, I need to be very committed to it because if I end up not liking it, I know the other opportunity. I know what could have been. So I think that just kept me motivated and it just kept me trying to free, trying to ask myself, 
am I going to do today? What's going to help me get where I want to be tomorrow? So I think that was just yeah. like, it kept me just, I need to make sure that I'm doing the things today that are going to help me reach where I want to get with the decision I'm making. So I think it was just, it was a very good chat, very good. It was a big debate because they happened around the same time, yeah. but I think I was able to not rush into anything. That's awesome, man. That's, that's a really cool story. And I also read somewhere that you promised your grandma that you would go to college and you would get your degree. What's an update there? Have you started that process yet? Where, where do we stand with that deal? I have not yet. I still owe it to my grandma. That's my mom's mom. So that's the very academic side. So she was one of the persons I was not very excited when I made the baseball decision just because <laughs> yeah. she, she didn't really understand the baseball world. Now, obviously now she's very proud of me and making her proud is one of my biggest, like it gives me so much happiness, but I haven't taken any first steps on that. But I think that promise stays and will always remain like, however, long of a baseball career I'm allowed to have. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever that time comes, I do want to go into the into the academic route and just get something. Obviously, it doesn't have to be doctor because we all know how long that takes. But I do want to get some sort of like degree, something that just allows me to yeah. tell my grandma, tell my family, like I was able to, to pursue one of my dreams, but also just re- um, do something about on the other the other aspect so i do i that, that that remains true that still remains one of my goals that's really cool man i, I the the arm i think you made the right decision the arm doesn't last after a couple of years you can't just pick it back up but your brain will stay there and uh, i think you'll be able to to do that for sure which is pretty cool hey but i, I want to talk to you about the the process of signing out of venezuela real quick because you end up deciding to sign with the Mariners. Um, so what is that like as a kid in Venezuela? Are there like travel teams? Is there like uh, tryouts for leagues or is it just, okay, scouts know from your high school stats how good you are and they'll come see you. What is the process like of you being a good high school player to signing a professional contract? Yeah, so we don't have like high school teams like uh, you do have in the United States. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things that you're playing little league, you're playing travel ball. But then when you start reaching then 15 years of age, then people will start coming to your games and they'll start paying attention to like, if you're good, if in a year they think you might have what it takes to enter the uh, professional baseball at, at 16. So when some scouts are paying attention to that, they might reach to you or to your parent, someone that, you know, like represents you in that aspect. And then they'll let you know, like, I think in a year or two, uh, he might have an opportunity to, you know, like enter professional baseball. And then you'll start finding people that will let you know where tryouts are, tryouts can be. And once you have your first one or two tryouts, then you get invited for more if you perform yeah. good, you know. So the more you perform good in front of scouts, the more tryouts you start getting. And then back then in Venezuela, we used to have academies like Seattle, the Seattle Mariners. They had an academy in the country. Mm -hmm. And then I got invited to a couple of their tryouts with, you know, like the farm directors, the uh, field coordinators, Latin American pitching coordinators, scout directors. So like once you get into those yeah. kind of tryouts, yeah. then like then you really know that someone's paying attention and you might have an opportunity. So I remember my signing period was July 2nd. 2012 and i signed with the seattle mariners july 4th after i had a tryout in june mm -hmm. of that year so i've been 
I had been trying out since uh, since April 2011. So right after my 15th birthday, I was just going trials by trials. And, you know, like you start little and then if you keep performing, then you get to go to like the tryouts at the team's yeah. complexes. So your first professional experience was actually there in Venezuela in the VZL, which I played in the Tigers organization and would, a lot of guys would come up from the Venezuelan league and, and talk all about it. So what was that like as your first professional experience playing down there? Is it like, was it a situation where you're like, I, I want to see how I stack up with these people? Or what was that experience that year you had down there? Because you did play really well. What was that like for you? It was not what I was expecting just because I had never pitched a full season before my yeah. full season. I think, you know, like a full season of just pitching. So I think I ended up pitching that year, 66 innings in the Venezuelan summer league. And, you know, I was 17 and then you had players being 18, 19, which it's not really a lot when you're set, but when you're 17 and you're playing some against someone that's 19 in his second or third uh-huh. Venezuelan summer league um, uh, year, then it does make a big difference. But I think I just tried to make sure that every day I was trying to do something to get better. Like I was always just paying attention to not only how my games went, but how my teammates' games went and what I could learn from them. I think I always took that approach because like I could always learn a lot from my starts, but I can always learn a little something different from someone else's start. So you had, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. You ended up having a really good year that year. And like you said, though, it was the most innings you had ever thrown in your life. And I I almost wonder, and obviously I don't think you necessarily know the answer to this, but I almost wonder if that's what led to your arm injury and ended up getting Tommy John and missing the whole next season. So I can't imagine as a kid that's 17, 18 years old, just signing to play professional baseball and making the big decision that you did and disappointing some in your family at the time. I can't imagine playing one year and then having to miss a whole season from Tommy John. Uh, Were you scared at the time? Like, I might have made the wrong decision. I might never pitch again. I might get released. What was going through your head in that time? No, like all those things that you just mentioned went right through my head. And 17 game i had my surgery november 5th 2013 so i was still 17 years old and obviously that was almost what nine uh nine years ago so obviously uh it was way different back then than it is now so but we still knew that there was a high chance of players coming back from that kind of injury and performing at the same level and sometimes even higher so I think I, w- I always do a lot of research. So I did as much as much research as I could in 2013 and 14 to just keep myself at a good spot mentally. And then I knew that if I'm at a good spot mentally, I'm going to be able to get through the rehab process physically to make myself better, to make myself back to being healthy. And to this day, I still feel, I still tell people that 2014, I think, was the biggest challenging year, but also the year that allowed me to grow the most in my career. Because I was, I was, fa- I had to face so many challenges, mm-hmm. basically recovering from that that injury, but also mentally getting the game taken away from you for that long. After you know, after only experiencing my first professional season, that was not fun at all. So I think it just it really gave me perspective of how important the mental side of the game can be. If you're mentally yeah. tough, you will be able to learn from the good good experiences and take good from the bad ones and then i think that approach has been i was i've been able to keep it 
as my career has been able to continue. And then I still look back at 2014 and I'm like, that was such a tough challenge, but I'm really proud of myself for getting through it. And I think getting the t- game taken away from me made me just stronger because I wasn't going to let that happen again. And I knew that by the time I came back in 2015, that approach, that mentality was going to allow me to cherish every single throw that I was able to make and then just appreciate the opportunity and just try to try to make it worth it. I lost a full year of not playing. I need to make the following ones worth it. And just having that approach, that mentality, um, I think made a huge difference. So it was a very challenging experience, but I think I was able to get a lot of good out of it. That's awesome. And I'm glad you share that. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I talk a lot about the mental side of baseball and how the mental aspect of the game is just as if not more important than the physical aspect because it is so so grueling playing so many games every single day um, and then another thing happened to you in your career that can get to you mentally in July of 2017 you were traded from the Mariners to the Marlins um, still as a young kid at the time and, and then you're involved in a trade you get uh, placed in Jupiter which by the way you got to Jupiter in July of 2017 I actually finished up my career with the Tigers in July of 2017 in the same league the Florida State League two days before we were making a trip to Jupiter so I would like to apologize because if I hadn't gotten released at the time, you might have gotten to the big leagues quicker because you would have gotten to face me like probably four times and punch me out four times. So, you know, the timing didn't work out for you. (laughs) (laughs) The right on right change ups always got the best of me. So uh, you probably would have done pretty well. So not too long after, you know, you kind of shoot through the the Marlins system and end up getting the call to the big leagues. Not too long after that, uh, you know, about a year or so after that. Um, and I love asking guys this question. So what was that moment like for you after everything you shared with us, the, the decision you had to make going through Tommy John, that whole process, getting traded, the moment you get the call to the big leagues, take me through that moment. Now, like going back to the trade, obviously, uh, it's hard not to get attached at 16 to the one team that gave you the opportunity to get into baseball. So after five long years of developing, getting attached to the team, realizing that my journey took a, took a detour to a new team was a little sad in a way, but also makes you excited. It gives you a lot of intrigue because like you realize that there are other teams out there that realize that the talent you have or what you can bring to a, an, an, an organization. So I think that was a very good way to look at it. So I was just like, I mean, maybe this will open plenty of doors for down the road. Mm-hmm. And then I think that just gave me that extra gear that by the time I got to Jupiter for the last two months of that season, just learning a whole new system, trying to get an understanding of, okay, what what these guys look uh, seeing me that I'm able to help them down the road. And then I think that just helped me um, move on to move on to understanding like, okay, I have an opportunity here that I can really grab onto and make it work. And then I'm able to, um, that November, they put him in the 40-man roster, which was very exciting day. Awesome. I, I remember getting the phone call that I was going to be in the 40-man, so that made me really happy because it was going to be my first big league spring training camp uh, in 2018. And then being surrounded by big leaguers and that spring training was was the, the one one of so one of those experiences that you will never forget. You know, your first big league camp, you never forget it. Mm-hmm. And then 
I go back, I go, I go down to double A, triple A, and I'm going through like a good period. I'm going through like, to like a good moment. And then just realizing that I'm getting when I get the call that I'm going to the major leagues, it was funny because my triple A manager realized that I was very good. I'm doing my reports before the games, mm -hmm. like the, the night before, two nights before I'm always just doing reports on the teams I'm going to face. And then he just comes to me while I'm doing my reports and like, what do you got on the New York Mets? I'm like, well, I do know the kind of players they have, this and that. He's like, well, do you think if I give you the reports, you could make a reports on them? I'm like, well, yeah, easily just give me the heat maps, their stats, whatever, and I'll make a good report. He's like, okay, I'm going to give it to you because you're going to you're gonna be facing the Mets on Saturday in Miami. No and I was way. just like, hey, what? And then, like, I realized what was going on. It was really cool. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love that, man. That That's so cool. So that conversation happened. Who's your first phone call? I think my uh, first phone call was my dad. Uh, I get, I, I, once I'm done at the manager's office, you know, with the news, the logistics, getting their congratulations, I ran to my locker, picked up my phone call and called my dad. And I think I was a, one, that was a very emotional phone call because my dad was a person that was always there for me. We, you know, since the beginning with the baseball, the decision making, my way through the minor league. So I think having the first phone call right there was, it, it was very important for both of us. And then he just, it, I, I needed to like just tell him before uh, beforehand, and then I was able to just like uh, soak it all in after that, and make other phone calls, pack my stuff, and then take it to Miami. That's awesome. When was at what point was your grandma called? It had to be a fairly early one. Oh uh, yeah, it was fairly early. It was <laughs> tough, tough for me. <laughs> That's awesome. So in 2018, you got called up late in the year, so you didn't have a ton of starts. 2019, you had over 20 starts in the big leagues, and it was a tougher year for you, probably the hardest year um, statistically wise in your career or in your life to that point. What did you learn about yourself? that year in 2019 both on the field and mentally as well yeah so obviously in base in baseball people say that basically it's a game of failure and that remains true because you know like the stats show in on the offensive side but i think there's always a time that at some point the competition catches up to you and then you have to realize that you know there are some adjustments that you have to make and then i think just knowing that you don't have to change who you are you just have to change a little amount of the things you do whether it's your preparation whether it's the way you get ready it's just a, the routine in between your starts and i think that i just like i was very i was i was good at making sure that i wasn't just changing everything that i wasn't going to change the picture i was i just need to make little adjustments so i took one adjustment at a time in my bullpens you know like okay on, my, on this this specific ball bullpen i'm going to work on this specific thing that's going to help the next one get better so i i at times i did try to fix way too many things at a yeah. single time and it ended up backfiring on me so I, that's that's when you know like pitching coaches more experienced pitchers will tell you like you do not have to change everything just pick something that you really think you need to work on and then once you fix that one you move on to the next one 
So 2019 was a very rough year. You know, I had this I had shaky moment, shaky starts, but I always had good people uh, keeping me on check and just telling me like, if you're here, you're here for a reason. Like you have the talent, you have the tools to perform, to get people out. Now it's just a matter of realizing what's missing. And it doesn't have to be pitching. It can be just your routine. It could be the way you're getting ready. And it's just one of those things that sometimes once you take a step back and you look at the picture from a farther distance, you're, you're mm-hmm. able to pick out areas that you think you, you were, you were missing at that you were not yeah. doing things hundred percent the right way. And then you realize those things and you were able to make a change for the better. Well, you did make that change for the better in 2020. It, it was awesome. You had a great year, but that year was a little different, obviously for, for the entire world and baseball started very briefly and then got shut down and then restarted for the summer camp thing. And then you had an awesome 2020, but how did you use that shutdown time in 2020? Because that transition from your 2019 season to your 2020 season was truly incredible. The the turnaround. So did you use that shutdown period to, to get a lot better or to work on something in specific? A hundred percent. I used that shutdown time to, I, right before COVID happened, I was working on my mechanics. I was trying to polish some things. And obviously we go through the whole shutdown thing that we can't do anything. There's no baseball. So I think I took those two, three months uh, just to like really understand the way I wanted my body to move. You know, mm-hmm. you want to be in sync so you can load to then unload. So like pitching and hitting is like you get your load you have to sync it up so then you can unload at the perfect time to maximize your strengths, your efficiency and all that. So I was really working on getting the timing, syncing up my, my hands with my legs and just making sure that I was getting the length I needed to make my pitches look the same out of the hand to get that extension. So I remember I was playing catch with my dad every single day during the shutdown, which was very special because I was the last, uh, couple of months I was, I was able to experience with, with my father. So I think looking back, it makes it more special, but I was just, I was just focusing on like, okay, everything starts on the rubber before I make a pitch. My first movement is always on the rubber. So I want to feel comfortable when I'm on the rubber. I want to feel that everything is just sync up, synced up. And like my, my arms just coming along for the ride. So I think just having that approach through the whole shutdown period, allow me that by the time the season started in mid-July, I was at a very good spot uh, physically, mechanically, and then it was just a matter of reading swings, executing your pitches, and just making adjustments as the game goes on. You've been, this year, one of the best pitchers in the game of baseball. Uh, It has been a lot of fun to watch you pitch. What, this year, have you been focusing on? Was there something coming into this year that you really wanted to focus on that pretty early on in the year when you were, you've been dominating all year, but you, you got to the place in your mind where you're like, yes, I figured it out. I feel good. Is there something you came into this year working on that you figured out? So this year I came into the year with uh, two things on my mind. One of them is going back to the basics. You want to, you always want to try to be ahead. You want to get the first pitch strike going Mm -hmm. on, going on, Pitching in the minor leagues, they make a big deal of first pitch strikes. And then when you really dive into the statistics and what it means, you do realize it makes a huge difference when you pitch ahead in the count or behind in the count. So I think just going back to the basics, like as a pitcher, you want to have options. Options means that if you're ahead in the count, 
you can throw the pitch you want this hitter to swing at rather than throw the pitch that he wants to swing at. Right. So that was my that was the biggest one because you know like if you're ahead in the count you you can you get to play around with the edges, expanding the zone to left, right, up, down. And the other one was try to be more unpredictable. As a starter, you want, you desire to pitch deep into ball games every single time. But to do that, you have to face the same line of three, sometimes four times. Yeah. So trying to remain a little unpredictable is a huge one, especially for someone like me that I rely on some pitches more than I, than I do on other ones. So just finding different ways that you, even if I'm throwing the same pitch, how can I make it a different pitch? So like to really understand that a fastball down and away and a fastball up and in, even though they're the same type of pitch, they're different in the way that they can set up different ones, changing eye levels. So I think just trying to be efficient in being ahead in the count and remaining a little more unpredictable, not falling into patterns, understanding the approaches, understanding if they're doing adjustments from their previous at bat. You know, if you get a guy out in a way, do you think you're, do you think are you seeing that he's trying to look for the way you got him out or is he just sticking to his plan? Yeah. So those were the two biggest things for me this year going into the season. This the Marlins rotation that you're a part of is incredible. I mean, yourself, um, Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, um, Edward Cabrera. Hopefully at some point soon or in the future, Sixto Sanchez will be up and he has some of the nastiest stuff in, in the world. When you think of the rotation that you're a part of, do you see a world in which the next couple of years you're a part of the best rotation in the game of baseball? A hundred percent. I think uh, being in the rotation allows me to see it more. And because I get to see these guys work day in and day out, I get to see their talents. I think everyone gets to see their talent on display when they're on TV. But when I also see the, how much they work to be the best when they're on the mound, it's truly inspiring to me. So like, I've been able to be with Sandy pretty much since day one because we got called up to the Marlins at around the same time. So watching him develop into who he is, the way he works, is truly inspiring. Trevor Rogers with the system he had last year, like we get to see these amazing arms and it just makes you really proud to, I mean, it makes me really proud to be in this rotation because like there's so much talent here and then just being surrounded by them, just it pushes us. Like we watch each other's bullpens, we sit, uh, with each other during games, we pick each other's brains. We're always talking pitching. We're always talking routines, how to get better. So having that support system in one of like the one of the most talented rotations in the in the major leagues is just it's really it's a really cool feeling. You know, like when they're on the mound, I'm the biggest cheerleader. Yeah. When I'm when I'm on the mound, I can feel they're cheering on That's me. Cool. So I think just having like that that much support system, having that there's a lot of feedback going. Like, even though we all do the same, we all throw the same five-ounce baseball to the same guy in six feet, six inches away, we go about things different. Because I, I may have different weapons that some of the other guys have, yeah. and they have different weapons than I have. So just trying to understand, like, okay, when you're in this situation with the weapons you have, what do you think batters are looking at? And how do you just, how do you surprise them? How do you try to and stay one step ahead. So I think not only the talent, but how, how we got to this point really means a lot. It's really important because it allows us to just have that extra gear 
of wanting to be better and just trying yeah. to step one step ahead of the competition. I feel like with the talented group that you guys have, the guy kind of leading the charge, your pitching coach has to have a big impact. What is you, specifically with yourself, the relationship you have with your pitching coach, Mel Stoudemire, and, and how important has he been to you and your growth? No, he's been, it's been a, an honor to work with him in a lot of ways uh, to the point that I not only see him as a pitching coach, and I've said this before, I see him as a father figure, a role model. You know, he he truly cares of not only making you the best pitcher you can be, but about making you a better person, a better teammate, a better human. And I think just having that, having that confidence put on you just makes things easier. Because it's such a long season, we get to spend so much time with each other. So he gets to see the best version of ourselves, but then he gets to see us our he gets to see us our some down moments where mm -hmm. when we're probably not going through the best moments of a season. And then just he's very good at letting you know when things are going right, what's working. And when something is not going right, he's also good at telling you what's not going right. But also while, while he's saying that stuff, I give you the confidence that it's not going to take a long time to fix if you just focus on working little by little. Yeah. So I think working with him has been a tremendous help, not only for me, but for the pitching staff the Marlins have built. Because he's being able to build those relationships that are that eventually help a lot. Because you know, if you have a yeah. good relationship, good communication, that's going to translate to the work you put up in your bullpens. And then that just, by the time you take the bull, uh, the mound in between the lines, it just becomes about competing, about making pitches. Because you know that in the four days between your starts, you prepare to the best that you could have. All right, so I got some some fun questions for you before we wrap up here, and and the first of which is of all those names that we just mentioned in the rotation: Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers, um, Sixto Sanchez, uh, and including yourself and Sandy Alcantara. Who of that group has the best stuff? Best stuff, yep. pure stuff, just pure stuff. No, I I, I gotta go with Sandy. Um, elite fastball, elite sinker. When once he started separating the sinker from the four seam, that just became a whole different <laughs> arsenal. So four seam, two seam, devastating change of slider. He's got a nasty curveball that he doesn't throw. I was actually messing with him because when he pitched in New York, they have a really good stats person and they showed his curveball percentage is 0.2% usage. And I'm like, dude, you got to throw it more. That's a good <laughs> curveball. Don't keep it in your packet. But also, I keep mine in my packet, too. So, like, I kind of like, set myself <laughs> up for failure there because he told me the same thing. But uh, he's got an unbelievable, like, repertoire. I mean, anytime you throw 100 and it moves like a left-handed slider, it's probably going to be the correct answer. Um, <laughs> next up, for yourself, who is the toughest out for you on the mound? Toughest out in the mound? Um I got to go with Juan Soto. Obviously, he's in our division, so we get to face the Nationals about 19 times a year, yeah. so I'm bound to face him a good chunk. And he's a tough out, but it's also it's to the point that he's so good that you really don't have a place to go, so you just got to <laughs> make a match. And it's just like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So it's always a fun at bat because you're going to pitch him differently. You don't have a, a way – you don't have a set way to get him out. Yeah. You just have to mix and match. So it's a tough at bat, but it's also a fun at bat because you get to – obviously, you're, it's not a time to mess around, but you get to try different stuff because he's so good that you might have to do something you've never done. 
<laughs> That's a great answer. Uh, okay, next. Other than your own home stadium, so Lone Depot Park, out of the equation here, what is your favorite stadium to visit? I would say Oracle Park in San Francisco. When I played in the California League, I was in Modesto, which is 45 minutes away from the Bay Area. So I was able to make a couple of trips around there on up days, and I was like, "Why well, would be really cool to play here. And then I was able to, you know, make it with the Marlins, which yeah. are National League teams, so we're able to go there every year. So that's been my favorite place to visit. That's my uh, that's on my number one, by the way, of my list of stadiums. Oracle is is right at the top of that list. It is beautiful. Um, next up, if you could take one pitch from any other pitcher in the game of baseball and substitute it for one of your pitchers, one of your pitches. What pitch would you take, and who would you take it from? Does it have to be pitchers right now, or anybody? You could do now or all time. Well, even though this guy's a lefty, I would take Steve Carlton slider. Okay. And just bring it to my repertoire, and just <laughs> I would I would dump my curveball right away, and I would take <laughs> Steve Carlton slider and throw it seven out of ten times. <laughs> I love that answer. That's fantastic. Um, so, like I said earlier, this year has truly been really fun to watch of you and it's been a great year for you and i don't want to count my chickens before they hatch but how important to you how awesome would it be to make the all-star team this year how cool would that be oh uh, it, it, it would be tremendously cool obviously growing up you get to watch the all-star game you know like oh it's halfway through the season and you get to see the best players like all together and you know like i think you're able to see it's a really fun time because everyone's just enjoying themselves. So like being able to, if I'm, if I'm able to go there without honor would be awesome. But I think this year, my main focus is just trying to get through the whole season, you know, being able to make that start every fifth day. I think that's, that's right now at the moment, that's where my focus is. And I think will remain at least for this season because getting through a whole season, healthy pitching, being the guy that the team, you, the team can count on, is really important as a starter. So that's where my mindset is. And I know if I'm focusing on bigger things rather than individual achievements, I think that will take care of a lot of things. So it would be really cool, but I'm just, at the moment, I'm just trying to take in really good care of my body in those four days between. So by the time I'm able to take them out again, I can perform and give my team a good chance. Yeah, I agree. Uh, last one for you. And I like to ask, everybody a question about this guy because I'm a big fan of his and knowing and hearing how much you put into your craft I feel like you'll be super impressed with what he's doing but Shohei Otani doing what he is doing in the game of baseball right now when you hear that name when you watch him when you think of him what comes to mind I feel like he's like a unicorn he's like one of those guys you know like when you're playing video games and you do 99 for everything both <laughs> I think he's that guy. He's he's that cheat code. Like if you put him for hitting, he hits 40 homers, then he pitches 100 miles an hour. So I think playing at the same time that he's playing, it's really cool to see because we get to see all those highlights. We get to see all these things that we used to do when we were little because, yeah. you know, when you're little, you play every position. And if you were good, you were good at all of them. But doing it at the big league level, I think a lot of people don't really – understanding how hard it is to perform at the level he does at both those things. So I think Otani is a cheat code. He's like a 
show player I would make <laughs> if they allowed me to do 99 for everything. So it, it's really cool to watch him. And we went to LA earlier in the season and just watching him in person, it was more impressive. You could see everyone in our bench when he was batting. We were all paying attention because, you know, it's something you, you've never seen. It's yeah. something we're seeing now. Yeah, it's, it's truly incredible. So, Pablo, I, I really appreciate you joining me, man. You've had such an awesome journey uh, to get to where you are today. I guess to wrap up, just if you could give a piece of advice to, to the younger generation coming up, starting at Little League, going through their life playing baseball, what would be your best advice? I think my best advice would be if you're able to focus on what's going on in the moment, that's going to take care of a lot of things. You know, if you start thinking about the past, you might get upset. If you start thinking about the future, you will get anxious. But if you're able to just try and remain where you, where your feet are, which is right here in this moment, I think that's going to help you just navigate a lot of things. And it keeps you just like controlling what you can control. If you're able to control what you can control, whether it's something big or something little, it doesn't matter. But just realizing that you are in control of what you can do at this very moment, it's just going to take care of a lot of things. It's going to take a lot of anxiousness away from you, a lot of like frustration because you know what happened, happened. You can't change it. What can change, at least from a pitching standpoint, like this pitch right here, I still have control over it and I can make a pitch right now. Yeah, well... Pablo, I've been a huge fan of what you're doing on the mound this year, but I'm now a massive fan of the person you are as well. So thank you so much for joining me, man, and talking to me a little bit about your life and your journey here. It has been an absolute blast. I appreciate you joining me. You're forever a friend of Flippin' Bats Pod, my friend. So thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, man. It was really awesome. Thank you. Of course. Thanks. Man, what an awesome conversation. I just wanted to thank Pablo Lopez again for joining me and being so open and transparent about all the stories and decisions he's had to make throughout his life. I am so pumped for the year he is having now, and I was so grateful for him to join me. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I'm a big fan of his now for sure. Make sure you're liking, downloading, subscribing, wherever you listen to your podcast. Flippin' Bats Pod with Ben Verlander. We're on social media as well, all social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, at Flippin' Bats Pod. You can also watch every episode on YouTube as well, at Flippin' Bats Pod. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it, and I will see you next time on Flippin' Bats.